And we are back for another edition of the Big Red Lily Podcast, episode 13th on the 13th. Beautiful day outside after what started. It's kind of like a weird day. I don't know about you all, but like I walk into my office this morning, the lights are on, and we have these big windows, and it is pitch black in our office. Like legit pitch black. It's possibly one of the weirdest things I've seen in a while. Anyways, I regress. Presley, how are you, man? Welcome to the show. I'm incredible. I think I'm supposed to say I digress, not regress. I think I messed yeah, that up. Yeah, that's all right. It's fine. Yeah, it's all right. Alex, buddy? There's a lot of gressing going on right now. I don't know what that means either, but it was okay. My power went out about three times last night. My 100-pound dog decided uh doesn't oh, like thunderstorms yeah. and jumped in bed at like four in the morning. I so. slept like an absolute baby last night. And I, I woke too. up and it was raining, and I was like, that's why. Like, yeah. when, I just Something about when it's raining outside is just... Incredible. Yeah, and, and tonight we're joined by what I consider to be a local celebrity of sorts. Like, <laughs> even to be in his presence right now is an honor. <laughs> Will Reddington, the newest contributor to the BigRedLouis.com, also the host of Red Talk Podcast. Will, man, how are you doing? Oh, it's great to be here with you guys, man. A local celebrity, that's, <laughs> that's quite an honor. I don't think that's necessarily true, but I do appreciate you saying it. But yeah, great morning today. Woke up, a little rain in the air, and by the time I made it outside, it had stopped. So you gotta love that. Well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I make the Red Talk podcast, sir. Hi, <laughs> <All right>, man. <laughs> I I mean, if I could stay home and do podcasting all day, I would do that in a heartbeat. No, no doubt about that. Let's let's jump in right into the topic of discussion tonight. Well, at least where we're gonna start. The NFL got kicked out, kicked off on uh, Thursday night with preseason, which I don't know about you guys, but I, at this point I'm desperate for anything. Like I'll, I'll watch training camp scrimmages if that's what it comes down to. Um, to me, I was particularly interested in Lamar getting things going with the Jaguars. There's been a lot of talk about his offseason and just how far he's come with passing the ball. Did you guys, first off, I'll open this up. Will, you can jump in if you'd like. Did you watch the preseason? If you did, how much? What games did you watch? What did you take away? I mean, the preseason's hard to find, to be honest. It's hard to watch a lot of these games. But I was just watching clips of Lamar and Teddy uh, doing their thing and looking really, really good out there. It's just nice to see Lamar back out there playing football. That's our guy, just engineering a smooth drive and just throwing the ball a little bit. I, I was wondering if he would even play at all in the preseason since his nature is just to take off and run a lot of the time. We don't want him taking any hits at all in the preseason, but he seems to be doing just fine and it's, it's good to see i'm a huge baseball guy though so I, i'm not as stressed for sports as, as you all may be but it is nice to have football in the air well, what's your what's your baseball team of choice jacob already fell asleep but yeah i i checked out when i heard the <laughs> word baseball. Be the chicago cubs so. oh man that is unfortunate man. <laughs> big time reds fans here been to a couple of reds cubs games this year and i think they're they're up like 17 to 2 in the two games i've been to so Pretty excited about this season's outcome. Anyways, uh, back to back to the Lamar talk. I was super stoked to see that Lamar has zero rushing attempts so far. Am I right about that? Yes, zero rushing attempts. I think that's awesome. I think that he just needs to convince everybody in the world that he's a great passer and then just run on some fools in the first couple of games. Alex, anything for you? I agree with both of those sentiments so far. Um, I'm glad he's not running yet. He obviously doesn't need to because there's no reason to potentially injure yourself in a preseason game that doesn't mean anything. Uh, but also, obviously, the biggest you know argument against him all offseason was his arm and accuracy. So I, 
obviously think he he wants to show that off as much as possible in the preseason and then obviously have his legs come in and and carry some of the load uh once the actual season starts I do think it's kind of a good sign that Harbaugh, you know, told everybody take the over on on rushing 139 attempts, and then he came back what like a few days later when they asked him about that. He's like, no, I'm probably not gonna, I'm probably not gonna run that much. <laughs> but uh, regardless of how much he does run, as long as as long as he has done what he did at U of L and and really knows how to kind of like take the proper blows, so to speak, I guess, yeah. to where he doesn't get injured and doesn't really put himself as at, at much risk. Um, I'm excited for him. I, I really think with the added muscle, I, I think he can sustain, you know, a lot of what people are saying he can't. But Yeah, and, and for me, the biggest thing, I mean, obviously the the couple of passes Lamar threw, I think he played like three series, were great, and he looked really good. I mean, you, you saw a, a lot of velocity on the balls that he threw, hit a really couple of really nice passes, including the touchdown that he threw. But for me, the biggest takeaway from week one was Teddy Bridgewater being able to start and just, he looks so comfortable out there. And when he started last year, uh, week 17, I think it was for New Orleans, not that he didn't look comfortable, but you know, it was just kind of a different situation. It was, you know, they're resting everybody else and they're trying to, to make sure that they don't limp into the playoffs. And it was kind of just a here, Teddy go out there and, and just kind of operate. I felt like on in week one, he was a bit more free. You saw them kind of do a lot of different things. And, and I, I was listening into some local radio yesterday and they had a beat writer on from New Orleans and they talked about how they really see Teddy Bridgewater as the guy when Drew Brees retires. Now, he may not make it to win in terms of being able to be signed and on the roster when Drew Brees retires because they don't know when that is. But I felt like Teddy kind of is – I don't want to say he's auditioning, but I feel like he feels really comfortable in knowing, like, this is my job long term if I want it, and I am the next guy, and he played like it. Yeah, I mean, I'd- Oh, it's so great to see Teddy out there. I mean, just being healthy, engineering an offense again – and, I mean, he had options this summer. I mean, they, he was linked to the Dolphins a little bit, and he possibly could have been the starter there. And instead, he told, uh, chose to stick around, or stick around in New Orleans and be with a successful team. And if he does ever get the keys to that car, they're going to be awesome. And all Louisville fans know that Teddy can be a really successful starting quarterback in this league. I mean, how close was he to winning that playoff game where it was negative 10 degrees and they were – he engineered that drive, and then Blair Walsh missed that 27-yard field goal. And I mean, things could have been different for Teddy after that. You hate to see it. Big Seahawks fan here, too, so you're over two there on that one. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing to me that stuck out was, and, and a lot of this came in garbage time, so you kind of take it as you will, but Reggie Bonifon made the practice squad last year in Carolina, never actually made it up to the active roster, but he's a guy from doing my research this week that Carolina fans know about and they are excited about which is really interesting to me because we saw him here at Louisville play 52 positions I mean I think he played literally every position on the field outside of maybe special teams being a kicker week one he gets four carries goes for 23 yards including I think it was like a 17 yard run that looked really good almost broke it off and then four targets four receptions for 30 yards and after the game the media in Carolina is talking about this guy being a supplementary back for Christian McCaffrey is kind of the guy behind the guy behind Christian McCaffrey who can do the same things that Christian can, just not at the same level. To me, that's super exciting because the story of Reggie Bonifant at Louisville is one that you just want to put a middle finger in Bobby Petrino's face because he just messed that up all the way. You had a special talent, didn't know where to play him. When you did put him at a spot that fit, he didn't do it right, and you, you took him away. And to see him getting some NFL run is really exciting. Well, we talked about this with – Oh, yeah. 
Oh, I'm so sorry to interrupt, Will, but we, we talked about this with Senoris Perry when he was on the <laughs> podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, but he, the NFL is all about just finding your place. You know, I mean, Colin Holba, you know, a guy that we had on, on the podcast of you know a few months back, um, he talked about the same thing. The NFL is more. It, there's plenty. There are plenty of talented guys that are not on NFL rosters because they just don't have the right fit. Um, and I think you know Senoris Perry has found the right fit. Um, because he's just a really good special teams player. And I think that Reggie Bonifant could be a perfect fit in the same way because he is not – I'm not going to say he's a clone of Christian McCaffrey. I don't think his, his expectations should ever be even remotely that high. But he's a guy that he can fit into the offense off perfect. You know, you look at the Ravens, they have Lamar Jackson right behind him. They have Trace McSorley. They have Robert Griffin III. They have guys that fit into the system perfectly. Um, and so I think that the it's it's a – great sign to see that Bonifin is kind of fitting in in a number of different ways and he could be a guy that's you know especially if something god forbid happens to McCaffrey like he could be a guy that could really step in and be have a lot of potential in the NFL and another reason that Bonifin is probably already such a fan favorite over there is because what we've seen at UofL he's just a professional he's a great guy it, it, it almost reminds me of like a Donovan Mitchell like he just knows mm. how to carry himself in all facets like he works out like a machine I mean the guy is still looks like a, a unit on the field um and he just he just knows what the coaches want out of him he he works at it he doesn't cause any drama he he's never in the news and any sort of negative light over there so I mean he knows what he has to do uh, to make the roster and, and to keep working, but I think that's the other thing. He's just, you know, the, the happy-go-lucky workhorse that, that will do whatever is asked of him and do it to the best of his ability. Let me ask you guys this question. Antonio Brown, what the hell? Yeah, so uh, okay, so we, we were just talking about this beforehand, so I'll let you guys take the reins here, but we, we just like have like little notes that, that we kind of write each other before the podcast starts. I work like non-stop so basically any co- any coverage i have if it's not related to you though i just don't pay attention to it i've seen antonio names antonio brown's name in the news but our 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 notes say antonio brown dash what in tarnation uh, let me lay the scene for you so the man goes to france gets in a uh, alex tell me what the term here since you're familiar with it what is a hypo Something that's it's not allergenic. Cryogenic. Cryogenic. All right, not hypoallergenic. Right. No. Gets in the chamber. Cryotherapy. Yeah. Doesn't wear the socks. No, which is Frost a big bi- no-no. Frostbite okay, so on his feet. I know Alex is an expert on this because I was just looking at your Instagram today and I noticed that you were you did some cryotherapy. Yeah. Did you wear the socks? Yeah. So so that's the thing. Um, fiance is about to start a cryo lounge in Louisville, which is going to be awesome. But I don't think enough people really know what like when that came out, like what cryotherapy even is. So. Yeah, you're supposed to wear like socks, gloves, uh, you know, like ear ear muffs. Ear muffs, yeah, I guess whatever. But basically like to cover all your smaller, you know, appendages and stuff, uh, just so they don't freeze off while you're in there just for three minutes. But yeah, when you have a blonde mustache and you're worth, you know, almost a quarter of a billion dollars, <laughs> you probably think you can do whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, you don't need to wear gloves. But science is science and you can't really Right. You can't really cheat that. So walking in barefoot probably isn't the best idea when all the signs around him probably said, right. hey, you, Put your need, socks on. you need something to yeah. wear on your feet. And so he goes to camp. His feet, if you haven't looked up the picture, you have your computer in front of you. I've look seen, up Antonio. I've, okay, I've so the, the feet picture, picture are gross. He shows up, can't run, can't really do much of anything. His feet look disgusting. Starts starts trying to get back into camp. Then the helmet thing happens. The NFL outlaws 
a type of helmet which Antonio Brown has worn his entire career. Is it like the old round one? Is that why they I, keep showing? I'm that not photo? exactly sure. Will, do you know much about this helmet? I'm not a football player, so I have no clue. Uh, I know that the NFL probably is trying to prevent concussions from what I've gathered with what's going on over right. the last decade in the NFL. And it sounds like the helmet he was wearing would make you more likely to get a concussion and that they're trying to make it safer. Right. But it's... I saw he tweeted today and that he's, he's looking for a shut air advantage adult large helmet that was manufactured in 2010 or after. The best thing about today about that, he put it on Craigslist. That's the best part, man. This dude put <laughs> – he went to the seeking like I need this and he posted it on Craigslist. This dude makes millions of dollars and he posted on Craigslist that he needed help, but it's not like this helmet, Alex. This is the kind of helmet that you wear at a Halloween costume, oh, like I'm when a, you're a little kid and you I'm go aware. and you buy the pants and the yeah. jersey. That's the helmet that comes oh, it's, with it. It's what we wore as kids, like playing playing youth football. Yeah, and I hated those kinds of helmets. I always thought the new the new ones even look cooler. You know, like they're more sleek. They're probably more uh, probably more airy in there. Yeah, so Presley, he he won't step onto the field without this helmet, right? So the NFL outlaws it. Says you can't wear it. You have to wear the new helmet. He doesn't like the new helmet because the new helmet blocks his vision. So he gets to camp. He reports. He goes to get his helmet. He gets the wrong helmet. He's pissed off. He goes and he brings his helmet from, I think, Pittsburgh, tries to paint it. The dude tries to paint it, <laughs> tries to go onto the field. They catch He's him. He's going to Bobby Bruce with the shoes, Yes, right, right exactly. Or no, it was Marquise King. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. So, so he goes onto the field. The Raiders you know, training staff says, hey, we see you got the wrong helmet. Get off. Here's the right helmet. He won't do it. Again, he goes a couple of days, he puts the helmet on, whatever, goes back, tries to sneak the helmet again, doesn't do it. Threatens to retire. The dude has just got $100 million from the Raiders. He's not doing that. He's not retiring. They, so he, go, he hops on a conference call with the NFL today. They tell him, you cannot wear your helmet. <laughs> what the hell? What, what, like, what, what, well, what do you play. think about this dude who thinks he is such hot shit that he can wear whatever helmet he wants and the NFL rules mean nothing to him? I can't call it, but they called his bluff. He's already back at practice. He says he's excited to rejoin his teammates and that he's made it through all the adversity he's faced, which he kind of created for himself. I was going to say so self-created adversity. Yeah. But uh, Tom Brady actually said that they outlawed it because of how things were going in New England and that that helmet is something that Tom Brady was wearing as well. And he seems to be taking it better, and a lot of people don't like Tom Brady, but, man, that, that guy's pretty funny on social media. It just seems like he gets it. A little shade of Antonio Brown there. kind of enjoyed it. I mean, I, what do you – like, what, if you're a teammate of Antonio Brown, what do you do? Like, the dude – like, it, it, I think I saw a teammate that said this is the weirdest thing he's ever seen in his NFL career, and now the dude's just like, oh, no, I'm back. Nothing happened. Like, what do you do? He's just a weird guy, man. I, if they were giving me $17 million a year to play football, you could put me out there in anything. A leather helmet, a, <laughs> a Revo, whatever you want. I'm out there. They can do whatever they want to me for $17 million. But I guess that's where me and Antonio Brown are, are different. I don't know if it's if it's just me, but when they announced Antonio going uh, to the Raiders with Gruden already there, I mean, like, is that – that just seemed like a more natural fit. You have like the the famous nutty coach turned announcer back turn coach, and now you have obviously the most famous wide receiver who's also a nut. To me, I think that's also probably why they they put him on Hard Knocks this year, just because they thought it would be great television. And week mm -hmm. one, everyone's talked about you know it, it was kind of boring and not a ton of storylines and, and whatnot. But week two, holy crap! 
well, you know, I think I think Antonio's like, oh, you guys want some drama? Okay, okay, let's start, so let, let's start stirring stuff up. Right, you guys wanted my initial reaction, so my initial reaction is he's on, you know, he's on the Hard Knock show. I I think that they could be potentially just trying to stir stuff up. I think that they kind of want a distraction away from how bad their team was last year. And I, <laughs> I mean, o- Oakland. Granted, Gruden did some stupid stuff getting rid of players last year. Um, but he still, I mean, remains in my mind a really good coach. Um, so I'm interested to see how, how this pans out just because I, I think that, that Brown is still, I mean, do you guys disagree? He's still a top five receiver in the, in, in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, how could, how could he not be? I mean, and Derek Carr is no, is not a, a chump by any means. Not at all. And they've got, I mean, they've got pieces there to win, to win and win now. I mean, right. he broke it. John Gruden did what you do on, on Madden or 2K when you get in and you trade all of your good players away and you get draft picks and you rebuild yourself to get the players you want. That's what he's done. But he's kept Derek Carr. He's kept some of the key pieces on the offensive line. They, they get a couple of good running backs. Like, I mean, they really could turn it around real quickly, but a lot of it has to depend on how, how stupid Antonio Brown wants to be. What do you think, Let me Will? ask y'all something real quick. Do y'all think that they're going to show any of this helmet fiasco on Hard Knocks tonight? They better. They, yeah, if they don't, the show just needs to be turned off. Yeah, like what's the point of filming the team? Now, I do think they'll probably pick and choose, you know, certain conversations to leave off um, and whatnot behind the behind the scenes. But I do think they would be dumb. I mean, that, that literally fell into HBO's lap, you know, that's like See, a layup for them that, that's in, what in I'm terms saying. of content. To me, it's so stupid it sounds manufactured. Right, exactly. I, I agree with that. Again, I'm not an HBO subscriber, so I'm going to need you guys to like, you know, maybe send me a link or something. But um, I'm I'm interested <laughs> now. I'm <laughs> I'm all in on this Antonio Brown saga just because you know I got a free night. So let's let's do it. You got it. Do you, do you have HBO? I do, and I watch it, no matter what the scenario is or. What what's going on? I find a way to watch Hard Knocks every year. It is hands down my favorite TV show of all yep. time. It is so good. And now they've got you know there's All or Nothing on Amazon Prime. There's Last Chance You, QB One. Like I'm in for all of these docu series on football teams. I love it, man. I can't get enough of behind the scenes. So speaking speaking of, so there's this there's this company that's doing the U of L documentary. I guess you want to call it for the ACC Network, right? Which is only going to be just one hour, right? Or is it? Is it going to be? Is it going to no, be? No, I think it's a just series. a one night show, but it's longer than an hour. I'm pretty sure. I'm oh, pretty sure it? it's just a one okay, night so, show. Oh, I thought it was like a multi. I thought it was like a multi show series up until the start of the season. Right. So, so I, I, I there's like a couple. Yeah, I don't think any of us know. Be, clearly, it's got to be because I. Either way, was, we're going to watch it. Right. right. Oh, dude, I'm going to watch it a thousand times. Are you serious? Like it, it's well, maybe not. It's it's the night before the first game. But regardless, I was doing a bunch of research on this company that's that is producing the show or that's filming the show or whatever you want to call it, right? And so um, last night, I, as I was laying in bed trying to fall asleep, I literally just watched like a bunch of docu or whatever you want to call it, like a the behind-the-scenes type of thing that they're doing. They did the Cam Newton. I don't know if you know that. Or the, the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, the All or Nothing. On Amazon. So good. Right. So, so good. So I'm, I'm watching some of that. Um, I was watching some of the stuff they did for Appalachian State, which I don't know if you know, but the guy who started the company – um, is from he he is from the area. He graduated from Appalachian State. Um, knows Satterfield and some right. of the staff I was very say, well. You filmed him there, right. I think, for a little bit. So some of the equipment that they have out there is legit. So they like they got like the huge drones. They have like the equipment hooked up. You know, like when you see when you see all these uh, TV shows on Netflix where they have the the camera hooked up to the front of the car. Like it, it's like it's legit. Like some of the equipment that they have that they're filming, this is going to be like a legit, like hard knocks type of show. 
um, that that they're filming for right. football. So I'm, like, I'm pretty. The slogan impressed. is probably going to be like the team played like crap this year, but this is not going to be a crap production <laughs> by any means. Right? Like, no, I mean it, it is high, <laughs> it is high tech. Have you got a chance to check any of this out, Will? I have not yet, but I'm excited about it. I love Hard Knocks, and you, you throw something at me that's Louisville like that, I'm in. Right, and I think we've t- when when the show first got announced, uh, we were just kind of talking about the the initial takes of whether is it a is it good is it a good time to even have the show? You know, since you're coming off such a terrible season, all this stuff. I can't see any negatives from my perspective. I mean, this does nothing but help him get his image out, his his you know culture preaching out about the new Louisville chapter of football what he wants, just showing them the staff, you know, how they interact with each other. I'm sure we're going to see a couple ball games uh, or basketball games, like between the, the staff, how they have, always have their afternoon pickup games. Like, I don't, I don't see anything negative coming from me because what do you have to lose? Like, this isn't a big season we're riding on. We don't have a whole lot of expectations. So why not get the staff out there and really show kids, uh, you know, this is what we're about. Cause I think this could have some, you know, future recruitment implications. Impl- Implications. There you go. There, you go. there it is. Say some words. No, I mean, dude, I, I'm 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 pumped. Like I I don't. Yes, there, there's no negatives behind the behind the situation. I'm I'm actually a little distracted. I'm looking at the the Raiders roster right now. They're, they're going to be legit this year. Like I, I I know maybe not. I don't know. Jacob looks indifferent about the situation, but I. What I mean, player did you see on there that made you think they're going to be legit? Just curious. So the roster can be like Richie t- Incognito. No, it's definitely it. No <laughs> doubt. No, I mean, okay. So they have Hunter Renfro is listed as a starting wide receiver. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, but they have Ryan. Screw that guy, man. I don't like that guy. Oh, quit it. Hunter Renfro is a <laughs> he's college football for sixty-two years. He's a likable guy. He played for four years. Although he did, he was like the sole reason that Clemson beat Louisville in their first ever matchup. He was he was the guy that had the punt return, right? Was that him? I don't know. Just an average white slot receiver to me. My question is for the Raiders, if you are a billionaire and you have a haircut like their owner <laughs> has, is like is it because like you're so rich you just don't care anymore or is it like you just legitimately don't – like no one is going to tell you, dude, what are you doing? I think he's just got a lot of yes men. Like does my haircut look good? Oh, yeah, Mark, it looks great. Well, he I wrote – I read an article. Um, I literally can't remember his name, but I know about him. Which Mark is, Davis. Yeah, I read an article about Mark Davis's mornings, like how he does his morning routine. He has the same Astro minivan from the '90s. He drives to a PF Chang's and sits at a bar in the morning, reading a newspaper and, and drinking a coffee. And he has a flip phone still. Like what this time is does this PF Chang's open. Oh well, dude, if you're a, if you're a billionaire, <laughs> nothing they're says, probably just gonna open it for you. Nothing but. says coffee and Chinese food. Like like the mornings and you're Oakland. definitely not gonna get hit up by uh, by fans in the morning in the PF Chang's. But either way, so the guy is a very unique person. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, watching this show, this is like the first time I've actually listened to him say more than you know a couple sentences at a time. So I'm a little more interested about that because Gruden is always fascinating, but but the Mark Davis factor for me is is intriguing as well. Yeah, so I I think that, that we could continue to talk about the Raiders, and we've mm-hmm. probably lost a lot of people I've, by now. Most people don't care about the Raiders. We've talked way too much about Antonio. So Brown. No, a lot of people. No, like I think Knox, the Antonio though. Brown thing is super interesting because you know one of the big conversations in sports has been how much power is shifting, and a lot of it is being kind of started with LeBron James of how much athletes can control the power in sports. I think that's a really interesting Mm -hmm. conversation for another time. But Antonio Brown is just kind of following along. But he's doing it in such a ridiculous manner that it's laughable. And it makes you say, Antonio Brown, what the hell? Like, 
But let, let's transition a little bit. I want to talk, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because it, it's media day is media day. But I do want to talk about Louisville Media Day. I do want to talk about some of the things that that were said. Kind of this new energy that just continues to come out. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys agree, Will. I, I'll start with you, but. Scott Satterfield seems like a guy who just says what he says, and he means what he says. There's no coach speak with him. Maybe that'll change over the years, but as of now, I think he's very real about what he says. I don't know how much you guys have looked into it, how much you've watched. I, I can't get enough of it because that's what I have to do for a living, but what do you guys kind of take away from media day? And I'll just kind of open the floor and hope somebody says something. <laughs> Say words. I, I, uh, I loved everything I saw. It, it seems like the positivity and the morale within the program are at an all-time high or at least as high as it could be after the season we just had and it was forgettable and I think the biggest issue with last season for me was just not playing hard every snap and when 14 point losses turned into 35 40 point losses because we didn't give it our all for 60 minutes and that's one guarantee he made at media day that we're going to have 11 guys out there and they're all going to be playing hard and I also like how realistic and honest he is with the fans he went on about the depth issue and that depth is really important in college football. And from our first string to second string, there's a big drop off right now. And in college football, it's hard to be in game shape until the middle of the season, the end of the season. You see a ton of injuries week one through four. And when we start having starters go down, we may not necessarily have guys there right away that are ready to play power five college football immediately. And I just like that he lets people know that. Like we're going to have some great players but we're going to struggle at times and just be patient with it yeah I'm right there with you I think one of the things that really stuck out to me was this this message that the coach has been preaching has been really picked up and received well by the players last year you know a couple of the guys have pinpointed that last year the year before guys had their own agendas like they were out there to get their own they were out there to improve their draft stock they were out there to to you know kind of pad their stats but Louisville's Twitter you know, account, they shared the video from Media Day, and the quote was, we're in this thing together. And I think that the players genuinely mean that. And I think all offseason, regardless of how, you know, how much better they've gotten, they have spent every single day hammering home, you guys aren't just playing for yourselves. It's about the guy next to you. You're only going to be as good as the guy playing next to you, and you have to care about the guy next to you if you're going to be successful. You have to give it your all, not because we say so, but because the guy – playing at, on the other side of the field at wide receiver, whether you're a safety or a cornerback, they need you to perform at your best. And I think the players genuinely are picking that up, and they really believe that that's the case. I almost think that he doesn't – okay, I know he cares about wins and losses, obviously. I think he's almost just as concerned about setting the foundation of his culture this year as he is you know, on-field success. Because yeah. if you don't set the culture this year with – I mean, it's harder because – you're, you're talking about players that aren't your, you're talking about players that are under a different coach uh, a year before. But if he can really get these guys to buy in now, the learning curve is going to get so much shorter next season uh, for the new guys coming in. And I think that's really, you know, how people are talking about year two, year three. That's how you get the springboard is, is just getting it off the ground. Getting a new culture off the ground is, right. I don't think people understand that, especially from Louisville, because we didn't really have much of a culture when, when Bobby was here. But that's a really tough thing to change all these kids' minds uh, and really have them buy in every single day. Like like Will just talked about, uh, you know, playing for 60 minutes, right. finishing. These kind of small things are actually huge. You know, even if we win three, four games, as long as the team is still bought in at the end of the season and willing to still right. start putting in the work immediately for year two, 
I think that's what's going to pay the most dividends. Yeah, and I, I, you said this before, kind of tongue in cheek, but I'm going to kind of roll with it. I, I think that they know year one is a. It's it, ESPN said it's year zero. You're not even. You, you obviously you want to win football games. I'm not saying they're out there trying to lose, but you know that however whether you have two or whether you have seven, it's the same thing. Like. Right. So they are so focused on building it the right way, block by block, making sure that they're built on rock and not sand, that this program is built to sustain success long term right. rather than saying, let's go out and, and – and I'm not throwing this player under the bus. I'm just mentioning his name as, as a name. Let's, let's go out and get Tate Martell to be a guy who can come in right away and start but kind of sacrifice some things in the locker room because we want to win now. This program, they're not worried about that. They're worried about taking the guys that they have, teaching them how to do it the right way, and Will, I think you wrote a great piece today, and you really laid that laid it out the way it is that these coaches are saying we're going to do this the right way and we're going to do it together. And the players are holding themselves accountable too, which you love to see. You love leaders on the team just saying, "Hey, we didn't come to Louisville to go to intent. We came to Louisville to be competitive. Throughout our lives, our program has been really solid, football and basketball. And last season was just so rough to watch, but." You just hear that kind of taking personal ownership of the way last season was, and it was embarrassing for them. And like, just guarantees that they're going to pick it up and they're going to play harder. That's the kind of that's all you can ask for at this point. Yeah, Presley, for you, what do you think was, if anything, was concerning about media day? Was there anything the coaches said that maybe you didn't know, or now you're kind of you're kind of rethinking? Okay, I was at five, I was at four, but now I'm kind of at three or two. Right. I mean, well. Coach Satterfield is brutally honest. Like he's not going to paint a picture like Coach Petrino did last year, and, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if the reasoning is because of the way that Petrino acted last off season, where he just like totally just gloated and said, "Oh, we might be better than last year," which is just absolute. It, in hindsight, it's just insane. Um, I mean, the most concerning thing to me is, I mean, they're just very open and honest about. It. There's just players that are probably going to be on the field at some point that are just not ready to to take the next step. And um, especially at the quarterback position, um, I, I know a lot's been made of the Malik Cunningham situation. I'm not sure how that's going to pan out, and I don't think the staff knows either quite yet. Um, but I, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about quarterback. You know, I, and we talked about this a little bit today uh, amongst our group, just in general, about if Louisville had a different quarterback, like if, if there was, and we weren't talking about Jawan Pass, we weren't talking about Malik Cunningham or, or Evan Connolly. If, if there was actually a legitimate, um, you know, top 50, top 25 quarterback on this team, all of a sudden we're, this isn't a conversation about a rebuild. It's a conversation about, you know, can Louisville make a bowl game and beyond? Um, but now this is just, we're just talking about can Louisville survive? Can they stay healthy? Can they create a, a good culture to kind of springboard into the next season? Um, and I, I think that's a bit concerning. I think that, um, uh, you know, I, I think Jawan Pass is one of the more important quarterbacks the Louisville's had in a long time, just because um, college football, in particular, is so predicated on on having great quarterback play, um, not just average quarterback play. There's there haven't been that many average quarterbacks aside from maybe you know a couple of guys for Alabama that have really ma you know made a team elite. Um, you know, quarter the, the the quarterback um, position is just so vital. Um, in college football, and I, I think that there's just so much of a learning curve for Juwan Pass. I think there's so much um, of, and you know, uh, of 
just think he has so much further to go than a, than a lot of other players on the team where in the quarterback is such an important aspect of all that. So that's the most concerning thing to me. I think that you can cover up a lot of blemishes with great quarterback play, and I think a lot of that stuff is exposed. You want to talk about covering up blemishes with a good quarterback play. Mm-hmm. Louisville knows what you're talking about. Yeah, no, I mean... The, <laughs> obviously, we saw that for two years with Lamar. I mean, but... Lamar Jackson, as, as my fiancé would say, is like the new Kylie Jenner um, lip kit, okay? So he's she's absolutely just covering... What? Where is the analogy <laughs> you, in that? Can you just repeat yeah, that? Give me I want an explanation yeah, yeah. of that. Yeah, what? No, I mean, so a good a good quarterback play is like a good foundation. You know, you have to know what your foundation is. No, if that's not what you said. What is the lip, <laughs> yeah, what's the lip don't kit? Don't interpret that. You don't know about the Kylie. Okay, is that clearly, the, when you stick your lips in the Pringles and it no, makes it look No, no, no. Clearly, you've, clearly you've never been with, with Taylor to Sephora. I, but I don't – you're right. I have not. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always holding holding the shopping bag, so I know exactly what we're going there for. Yeah, so, you know, with Juwan Pass, I, I kind of agree in the sentiment. You know, the, lists are lists. It is what it is. But Pro Football Focus released the, the top 150 quarterbacks that start in college football today, and Juwan is 128th, and the three schools in front of him are UConn, Arkansas State, New Mexico. So it kind of tells you where he is. And this isn't just a list that's based off of – uh, who did I think it was? No, this is all graded. Like they, they take this very specific into formulas. And I think that that kind of tells the story of where Louisville is, is that the quarterback play is a big, big concern. And, and it's almost as big as the concern of depth. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was was Scott Satterfield saying, we have to eliminate a lot of mistakes. And that's pretty much any team early in camp, you're going to have some mistakes. You're going to have false starts and some offsides, some missed assignments. Those things are going to happen. And those are the things we have to clean up. And then I, I hear that quote, and then I see video from the scrimmage, and I see Juwan Pass throw at least two interceptions. Like, to me, red flags start to go off of this guy is still the same guy he was a year ago. Yeah, his confidence might be improved, but his football knowledge and his football skill is, is what it is. And if, you're, if, you, if you think Louisville's going to win five games or six games and go to a bowl, it's because Juwan Pass is going to be really, really good. If you think that Louisville's going to win two games or three games, it's because you think Juwan Pass is not going to be very good. That's Absolutely. honestly what it comes down See, to. I disagree, though. I don't think he has to be really, really good to get to the five or six games. I think he, he – just hear me out. I think he has enough starting support as long as – because the one thing they keep saying and Satterfield keeps preaching is like as long as he can manage the game. He's not asking for him to go above and beyond. Right. And he obviously, from the videos and everything else we've heard – he might not have the capability right. to go and, above and beyond. And that's the thing. For, he hasn't even proven he can do that. And not to, you know, rain on the kid's parade, I, you know, he seems like a really good kid. He seems like a guy who's truly legitimately trying to kind of take his game to the next level. Um, but there, there's some people that, that just don't have it. And, and Louisville has to have that in the back of their mind. They have to have a backup plan. They have to remain cognizant of the fact that, that maybe Puma Pass isn't, isn't the option. And they can't – you can't waste a season – um, on a guy who just doesn't have what it takes to be the leader of this team. Yeah, what what do you think, Will? I mean, how blessed have we been as Louisville fans to watch the quarterbacks that have come through this university since 2000? With Redmond, Ragone, LaFours, Bridgewater, Lamar Jackson. Our bad quarterback years, they still have awesome moments. Like we were talking about Reggie earlier. That win at Notre Dame is one of the best wins of this decade. And Will Gardner got big wins. And Kyle Bolin even stepped up in the UK game. And it, it's just, it, it's a weird spot to be in. But we as Louisville fans hold our quarterbacks to high standard. And 
Jawan definitely didn't get there last year, and it's going to be hard for them to for him to get there this year. It's it's hard to see everything changing overnight and over the course of one season, but I, I think we need to understand quarterback is the most important position on the field. But we've been blessed; we, we've had some great ones, and not everybody can be like that. Yeah, and I'm in the in the boat of this is how if I'm Scott Satterfield, this is how I see this. This is how I let it play out. I give Jawan. The first six games, and obviously I don't tell him this because I don't want to rock his confidence any more than it's already been rocked. I give don't him the listen, first... Juwan. No, if Juwan, if you're listening, please turn it off. Turn right it now. off. <laughs> if I'm Scott Satterfield, I give him the first six games, and I say, look, no matter what you do, if you're healthy, you're on the field. We're not going to pull you. Now, we might have some plays with Malik. We might have some plays with Tutu Atwell where we bring in a second quarterback and we do some trick stuff. But I'm going to give you six games, maybe seven or eight. It just depends on the way you look at the schedule. If we have not shown in this place that that we can compete and have a chance for a bowl game, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to hand the reins over to Evan Conley because that means in my mind I know that next year it's T. Webb or it's Chubba Purdy, and I'm going to give Evan a chance to prove that he can be the starter right now. If not, you're wasting time. Like I mean, mm-hmm. look, I want Jawan to be successful, but I'm also a realist, and I know that a lot of what we saw last year playing for a great – quarterback coach and Bobby Petrino is really probably a lot of where the talent is with Juwan. Like, I know that there's confidence issues there. I know that, that, you know, you hear about what Nick Petrino did to him in practice and having no clue what he's doing coaching. And so knowing that he doesn't know what he's going to, what he's doing, he's going to take that frustration out on Juwan. Same with Bobby. But Juwan showed last year that, that a lot of the reads and a lot of the talent wasn't there. So if I know that the next year I'm going to completely turn my program over to a freshman, I'm going to give Juwan an allotted amount of time. I'm not going to tell him it. Again, I'm going to make that an emphasis known because I want him to be confident in what he's doing. And then I'm going to turn it over to the freshman and see what he can do. Now, hopefully, Juwan comes out knowing that he has – I mean, look, there's weapons. Scott Satterfield said it multiple times immediately. Oh, yeah. There's receivers. There's running backs. Our offensive line is much improved as long as we're, we're healthy. Yeah. Juwan has the tools around him to be able to get, re, get rid of the ball on short throws and let his receivers do the work for him. But there's that tendency to want to triple pat the ball. There's that tendency to have happy feet in the pocket. Those are things that we need to see if he's improved on. And if not, then I don't know. And that's me being honest. I just don't mm-hmm. know. So let me play devil's advocate a little bit because I know that I'm the one who kind of took us down this rabbit hole of negativity because of the quarterback play. There's a team that's, what, 70, 80 miles down the road who had the best season of their, of their entire existence basically. Um, basically just handing the ball off to a running back. I'm not saying that Louisville and Hassan Hall are going to be like UK and Benny Snell last year. However, I will say that they had a similar quarterback situation last year, and they just handed the ball off 35, 40 times a game to their running backs and basically just relied on one pretty good wide receiver and one really good tight end to get the job done. Um, it, is there any potential in this season that, there, if even if it's not Hassan Hall, maybe if it's just a mixture of 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 really good running backs, um, do you guys think that do you guys see potential in possibly surviving the season? Maybe even stepping forward, making a step forward and getting to a bowl game. If not, if if the the running backs are able to step it up, I, I do. I think that there's a potential to really take a step forward and be successful. The problem is of what's going to be different for Louisville than what was there for Kentucky. Kentucky had a really good defense. They had one of the best pass rushers in the entire country. They had a great cornerback. They had great safeties. Cash Daniels was really good at linebacker. I think Louisville's defense is going to be a lot more improved because of the system that they're playing, but I'm not 100% sure that 
that the offensive can carry them in the running game specifically because the defense it's the, it's not like the Baltimore Ravens where you know you're going to have great defense and a great running game or the Pittsburgh Steelers like you you're going to need um you're going to need your offense to to be able to produce at a high level and and you're going to need your defense to really be able to hold their own and I don't think they're quite there yet I think it's going to take some time what do you think Alex I think the defense is on the right track. Um, I think they have an idea of what Brown wants done. But to Jacob's point, I do think obviously that's a big learning curve because they have no idea what they were doing last year. You know, so you're yeah yeah you're trying to learn an actual you know defense. And and Browns is unique. I mean, Keith was on here what last week talking about you know Brown has one of the most unique defenses, mm-hmm. um, you know, in college because he just. It's not a traditional anything. And I'm excited about that, by the way. I don't know if you guys have actually kind of got a chance to to kind of sit down or maybe read anything that I've written or listen to any more of what Keith's written or talked about. You do articles? Yeah, from time to time. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. From time to time. I might check it out. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, so I, I'm more excited about the defense and the offense this year just because I think there's more opportunity for the defense to improve this year than for the offense. I think that um, there's a lot of really skilled skill position players on the offense. However, with that being said, I think that um, the defense has a chance to step up. I mean, there's no other place to, to go other than up when you give up 399 points over your last seven games. Right. I mean, that's that's why I'm not. <laughs> I wouldn't say excited. I think I'm more. I'm more worried about the defense than the offense, if that makes sense. Like, I'm excited about everything, and I'm obviously excited because the defense has nowhere to go but up. You know, like, they have nothing to do but improve. Right. So we know that's going to happen. Um, my, you know, from everything we've been listening to and reading and, and trying to read the forums and trying to, you know, get any sort of insight we can into these practices and, and potential injuries and, and what do people see and all this stuff, it's just a little unnerving hearing, you know, even when Satterfield talks about the depth issue. Because right. you can be as confident as you want in your starters, but mm-hmm. your starters aren't the ones that are, you know, going to carry right. the load the whole season. Um, they're going to look great, but then eventually you got to get subbed out. Yeah. Uh, or you're going to get an injury or anything exactly. else. And, and he knows we're not deep, and, and I think that's why he's trying to make a big point to have the secondary – train as hard and be just as knowledgeable not not maybe as talented but at least they'll know their role and those are going to be supposed to those those are the guys that are the future of the program you know you're not going to have you know the guys that are going to be playing this year you know a lot of them are grad transfers juco guys guys who have a lot of experience you know juniors and seniors on the team um the guys that you're developing are not only important for this year but for the years to come too you know you have incoming freshmen um, it doesn't look like the the class is going to be super strong for the 2020 class. So there, there's a lot of development that really it's really important that and that needs to happen, um, you know, by the end of the season. Yeah, we still got some recruits to go. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, sure, and sure. and there's going to be plenty of space to add players in. But but when you talk about depth, right, one of the big things is yeah, it's going to probably be a lot more trial and error and a lot of growing pains. But when you look at overall who the defense is going to bring back, and I'm not, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about 2020, but they're going to bring back a lot of guys, and the offense is too. You're looking at, you know, guys like Dorian Etheridge, T.J. Avery, Anthony Johnson, Chandler Jones, Russ East on the offensive side, Tutu Atwell, uh, potentially Mackay Becton, Cole Bentley, Hawkins, yeah, Hawkins, Hall. Like they have weapons, and so yep. you know, if you're going to take your growing pains, and it's going to take 
you know, some lumps for getting guys like Zach Edwards and Malik Clark and um, and uh, Thurman Gathers and 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 a lot of these guys, Jarrett Jackson, some of the young guys who need reps. If it's going to take growing pains for them to be able to learn and step into their roles, then yeah, it might suck in 2019, but they're really going to benefit from it in 2020, right. and that's okay. We're not expecting the the world here. We're expecting. Just compete and hopefully win three or four games. That's all no. Louisville fans really want. And I think that that's why it also goes into, like I said, putting as much importance into the foundation of the culture with those guys that you know because it is a young team. So you train these guys up right regardless of, of how the wins and losses go this season. He wants to make sure he has the path for success already laid out for these young guys because they're going to come in next season know exactly what to do. Kind of like what, what Daniel just mentioned with – with Mac in year two, like you got a lot of the players that are showing the young ones, hey, this is how it's done every day. Mac doesn't have to go through all those things as tediously because he's expecting his his older players to get that done. And I think the same thing is going to happen on the football side. Right. If you guys are listening about about looking for more football information, we're going to go full bore next week. Um, you know, hardcore football insider information. So if you're super into that stuff, next week make sure you tune in. Um, when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk to, to Danielle Lerner of the Courier Journal. She has a lot of insight um, on what's going on with Louisville basketball, and we are we're, we're super pumped to have her, so stay tuned after the break. All right, let's switch gears a little bit here. We've been talking a lot of football. Let's jump into some, some basketball, Louisville basketball, and we'll bring on our next guest, Danielle Lerner of the Courier Journal. Danielle, how are you doing? I'm great, guys. How are you? We are doing well, staying busy here with everything going on in town. Let's start with something a little bit different than basketball. Let's start with Bachelorette. We had a little bit of discussion before we started about our fanhood. Tell me your thoughts on the last season with Hannah B. and now this love triangle with uh, Tyler Cameron, who was the runner-up, and Gigi Hadid. What do you think? I mean, look, this is great television, right? Because you had your villain all season long, and then when they got rid of Luke P., who was the guy everyone hated, then they made everyone hate Jed, and he became the villain. But Hannah didn't know that he was a bad dude. Like, it was frustrating, okay? Like, I'm very frustrated by this ending. But I also think that now I feel obligated to watch the next season and also to keep up with all of these people on social media, which is something that I don't want to spend my time doing, but I have found myself doing. So, I guess my, my question would be, as somebody who actually didn't, cover the or look watch the entire season have they announced who the bachelor is going to be for the next season because that's how they do it right they, they have not not yet they from the, the previous season for the bachelor they wait until paradise is over because that's where the stars uh, are born these days okay so what's the what's wow. the new what's the the down low on paradise what, what do you think Daniel? who's that who's your your guy that you're kind of targeting it on for the next bachelor um I have not. I've not been watching Paradise, so I have no idea how. You're missing out. I'm gonna tell you that point blank. You're miss. That's better than but the Bachelor Bachelorette. I think that Mike, um, who came in fifth, I believe, on this season, um, should be the next Bachelor because he was just like the only guy who didn't have any problems. Like he was so nice, genuinely, um, and it would be their first black Bachelor. That'd be interesting. See, so you, you had me. I haven't even seen the season, but you had me until like super, super nice because they never like they right. never picked the so nice we can one. Tell they always pick the the one that's like almost most hated just to get the most right. viewers. Danielle, you're an inexperienced watcher because as 
<laughs> I can tell you that I just, just because just because I know I know that was a huge accusation. I'm so sorry, but they're gonna pick the person who's just made you the most ticked off, just so Absolutely. that you're gonna be so you're just not gonna want to watch it, and then you're gonna get, just get sucked in. Like they want to, they want America to have that reaction of like, oh, that guy. Like that's that's what they want when they announce. It. Mike's actually gonna go enjoy his life with a nice girl and settle down, probably. <laughs> on this, is that his name, Mike? Yeah. Okay. That's okay. His name. Big Mike. He's got a smile that'll light up a room. I'm right there with you, man. He's the next bachelor. Let's talk basketball now, which is what we're we're here to do. You've been covering Louisville now for a full season. You've gotten to spend a lot of time around Chris Mack, around the team. You went through the ups and downs of last year. What is the most interesting thing that you've learned about Chris Mack? Oh man. Uh probably that he is just obsessed with um what I would call very basic like chain restaurants. Um and also <laughs> Mountain Dew. So okay. you said in Mountain Dew, is that the last thing you said? Yeah. I always took him for a Bud Light kind of guy. Like it, when he goes out to eat, that's what I expect well, him to order. You can't have a Bud Light during practice though. No, but I mean, I mean you can't really drink Mountain I mean, I guess you could drink Mountain Dew. But you wouldn't be did y'all see the picture of him? I mean the dude is still ripped. And I don't oh, know at how the old lake, he is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he drinks Mountain Dew like everywhere. Like on road trips, they like send uh, team managers out to get cases of it. <laughs> and we're not talking like diet Mountain Dew either. You're you're just talking about the tried and true Dew. I'm like trying to remember now if it's diet or not. Um, I honestly can't remember which one it is, but he sometimes has like three a day. Well, has he ever told you his favorite restaurant? Because I my guess is it's probably roosters or skyline but has he ever directly said this is where i enjoy eating no but he he goes to applebee's he likes applebee's a lot oh man and, that's maybe the most disappointing thing i've ever learned about chris mack his like game day breakfast spot is ravenna cafe in in norton commons which is actually very very good but, oh, like, that place when he's is on fantastic. the road he's like he's always at applebee's or dunkin donuts which i love but the, I don't know. We were really secretly hoping that it was going to be Roosters because that's kind of our spot. Roosters. <laughs> it, which, I have actually never been. I've heard that that's like some of the best wings in town. Danielle, you got to go. But it, that is, it's a, it's a chain restaurant. There's it's there's probably a hundred of them, um, but it, it's it's a good spot. And speaking of Mac, and just not too in the weeds on actual basketball things, are you going to be in attendance for this uh, Chris Mac fantasy experience camp? Uh, I'm not sure because I think we got to work out our schedules and stuff and, and see who's going to be around and if I need to help out with some football stuff, but I would like to be. Are you a, are you a hooper? No, actually, I never played because I was always short, um, but so I always just watched. Um, grew up a big Warriors fan in the Bay Area and, that's, and, and went to Stanford basketball games as well, so that's kind of how I got into it. That's pretty cool. If you need someone to sub in, if, like, the CJ can't make it, to the to the fantasy experience, I can definitely uh, make myself available. Just throw me some credentials. I'll be right there. Noted. Noted. Yeah, don't worry. I, I totally got a cover for you guys. I'll take some photos. Three other short people who are super interested in. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking of it, just kind of first impressions and the way things have gone for the first year. This this basketball court with the new the new uh, look. You know, for somebody who's not been around the program, it, it might kind of seem superficial or not that big of a deal. But for diehard fans like us, this is kind of a really turning a new page and really kind of putting a stamp on the program. What, what's been your impression of, of how the program has made this decision, Chris Mack's involvement, and just what's to come and what it really means for Louisville? I mean, I think that you've just seen the nostalgia kind of pour out from all of these fans. You saw it first when 
Mac was just hanging out with uh, Denny and Susan Crum and, and posting photos of that, that people really connect to that era of Louisville basketball, not just because they were really good and, and you know, had some Final Four appearances, but um, because they just connected to the players of that era and, and to Denny Crum. And so um, bringing that back and unifying it, I think, is kind of showing that Chris Mack is someone who, you know, he's very new to this program still, um, but he respects the, the history of it and their tradition. And he, they, I mean, their marketing department is very smart. They understand that it's going to appeal to fans um, and that it's another way to get people re-energized about the program. And I think in addition to that, too, it kind of is a playoff of what a lot of the NBA teams are doing, which is kind of going back um, and looking at kind of a more nostalgic era and kind of playing to everybody across the fan base. Because as time goes on, things, you know, trends come in and out. And right now that's that's the hot thing, which I think in, in a previous tenure, uh, maybe that might not have been something that the coaching staff or the athletic department was willing to do. So it's kind of cool to see that uh, they definitely have kind of um, – they kind of are listening to what the fan base is saying and they're really interested in, in kind of making making what they want happen. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I feel like year one of Chris Mack was kind of them trying to shed this old skin of some of the problems and issues that the program had had in the past and really trying to emphasize the whole new era thing. And then now that they did that and they were successful and they drew people in with a good first season, year two, they can kind of, get back into that old Louisville basketball skin um, and, and embrace that identity again now that they've shown people it's not taboo. Right. So speaking of, of year year one versus year two, this is also, I think you kind of started um, covering Louisville basketball kind of in the middle of, of Mac's first season. So just speaking more on the off season, what is the, what is the difference between last year and this year, maybe in terms of competitiveness, in terms of um, what the team's actually able to do as far as depth, as far as talent, um, and experience it compared to last season? I think it starts with just having like returning players back who know his system, right? Because last summer it was all spent kind of indoctrinating everyone on the roster into this new way of playing um, that Max liked to do. So, you know, regardless of all the new players that they've added and how much better the returners have, have gotten, it's a, just the simple fact of now they're used to playing in the system they're used to the way that this coaching staff operates and i think that's a huge part of accounting for a jump that we're going to see from last year to this year but the other part of it is that you just have kind of the core group um which is dwayne sutton jordan wara um steven enoch malik williams uh and ryan mcmahon um primarily and then we'll get to darius perry a little later because i feel like he almost wasn't even a part of that core group last season because he didn't play very well but you have those guys who now that they're comfortable um they're the leaders on the scene they're teaching the new guys how to do everything um and then a lot of them just hadn't even really reached their potential I don't think that Jordan Mora has even reached his potential um so they're gonna make huge jumps this season and as far as the freshmen I've heard nothing but good things about them this whole summer um being able to learn pretty quickly and uh you know hopefully David Johnson uh, is on the road to recovery Right. So what do you make of the, the David Johnson injury? Um, we, we heard Mac talk about, which was kind of unexpected to me, he was talking about how Johnson could have been a guy that was competing for a starting role. Um, I kind of saw Johnson as, with him being a local product, I, I kind of saw him as being someone who could be a contributor in year one and then kind of you know get his feet under him and then really take over 
in year two and three, but it sounds like Johnson was competing for a starting role from what Mac is saying. Does that have more to do with, with the injury, um, uh, with the injury to, to, um, gosh, man, fresh Kimball. I'm so sorry. Does that have more to do with him being out doing an injury or does it have more to do with Johnson's potential, um, as possibly winning a starting role? I think that uh, David Johnson, from the beginning, as soon as he signed, was always going to be in contention um, for that starting role. I think that they identified him as someone who um, was really comfortable uh, being a leader in that point guard spot, um, but can also slide over to the two if they need him to. Um, so I think that they always thought that he was going to contend for that, um, really alongside uh, Perry and then whoever they ended up bringing in as a grad transfer, which was Kimball. So I think that was always the plan. Um, and obviously his injury is, is a setback for him, but hopefully if he gets back maybe, you know, November, December, so by the time conference play starts, um, I think that now we're seeing I don't expect him to really be starting by the end of the season. That's not that much time for him to do that. So now this season he might be more of a contributor, and then next year – um, you know, when Kimball's gone, get into that starting role. And just continuing on with this expectations, whether it be the players, uh, I, I want to ask about the expectations from Chris Mack's perspective. I think we've all seen so far that he's really handled uh, the media expectations and the national expectations head on. Uh, he's, you know, mentioned a couple times in, in interviews and press conferences and whatnot, but embracing being ranked as a top 10 team what what's been his message uh to the team so far that you've seen to kind of either keep them grounded focused uh just getting ready for the season I think the thing about Chris Mack that I observed all through last season was he knows when to to let them get hyped up about expectations or or to kind of get a chip on their shoulder about expectations and when they need to completely tune it out and be unaffected so I think for the majority of last season, his his kind of message was tune that stuff out, don't listen to it at all. Um, doesn't matter if you're ranked or unranked. You know, we want to go by the expectations we had for ourselves. This summer, um, going into this year, I think expectations are a lot higher, and I think he doesn't want them to get um, to get too cocky or too high on that. Um, but there's this air of excitement. I think that he's been preying on that um, and kind of saying, look, guys, like. We know that we can do great things. We have a lot of talent. Um, so it's up to you to make sure that you're going to live up to that when you get out on the floor. One of the biggest differences in year one to year two is just the, the overall depth and balance that they have in the front court. In, in your mind, what are we going to see different there in terms of lineups? Do you, you know, Traditionally, Chris Mack plays that four four out, one in with the one big, but with Malik being more of a stretch four than he is an inside presence, do you think that we're going to see more of two bigs playing together? And then how do you see them kind of working Aiden into that that uh, lineup and rotation as well? Yeah, Mac has already said that he might experiment a little bit with like a three out um, style instead of four out uh, this season. So I think we're definitely going to see that. Um, and then, yeah, I think you might see Malik Williams and Stephen Enoch on the floor together um, with Williams at the four uh, and Enoch at the five. I think that that is really powerful, and we've seen that Williams is, is better on the per, on the perimeter. Um, Enoch is more of a inside, uh, low-post kind of dude. Um, I think he needs to get a little bit better with his back to the basket in order to be super effective at holding down that role. But the two of them together, I mean, that's just – 
a really physical front court to overcome for, for any opposing team. Um, and then Igehan is someone who can be worked in, um, I think, just to give those guys some rest. And, you know, obviously he's an imposing physical presence. I think everyone saw that paintball photo. Uh, but I don't know that he, skill-wise, um, is where he needs to be to kind of take a, a large share of minutes from either of those two. And continuing on with with newcomers, you know, Fresh Kimball came in with a, as a guy who really seemed to be the missing piece overall for a team that, you know, brings back a lot of talent, but had a hole at that true point guard spot. Following up Kristen Cunningham, a guy who was a pass-first, team-first guy all the time, how do you think he's going to fit into that role, especially playing next to Darius Perry um, and then, you know, kind of working in David Johnson? How do you see that point guard spot kind of filling out and evolving in year two? Yeah, I think that obviously Fresh has a lot of experience playing at the college level already, and um, he knows what he's doing. He has his head on straight. I think uh, mentally he's going to be very similar to how CeCe was. Um, The difference is that he is used to scoring um, a little bit more than CeCe was. I think you saw that Cunningham sometimes was a little – hesitant to drive to the basket um you know he could do that and take over a game if he needs to there are a couple games where he would go off for like eight points in the the final stretch or something like that but it wasn't something that he did consistently um Kimball does that consistently because he had to his first couple years at St. Joe's um and then there was one year where they had a lot of other good scores and so he was the assist man so he's had experience kind of playing a variety of roles and I think that's what's really going to help him in Louisville is that You'll be able to see, you know, who's having an on night, who's having an off night, and he can kind of pick up the slack in whatever area they need him to. What What do you make of this new, I guess, um, info about Quinn Slazinski really, really making a name for himself, um, being ahead of the curve where they thought he'd be, whether it be maturity, physicality, just playing skills in general? I know the whole original plan for him was supposed to be redshirting this year, but now obviously there's speculation that he might not. Um, have you heard anything, I guess, uh, on that? Yeah, I haven't heard anything definitive about that, but when I saw – last time I saw Quinn was a couple weeks ago, and I mean, like, he did look considerably bigger and stronger, and, and all the guys do to a certain extent. That's what happens when you're in the weight room with Andy Kettler for a couple weeks, but um, he – I just remember thinking when he committed that he just looked like one of those beanpole type kids. Um, and he does not look like that anymore. Um, I haven't seen him play, uh, you know, obviously since he's been here, but I trust that if he's impressing the coaching staff, you know, I don't think Mac is going to put him out there if he doesn't think he's ready. Um, but it's not also, it's, it's not a necessity. So, you know, right. if they decide not to redshirt him, it's going to be because, he earned it and they feel he can contribute not because they don't have any other options because um, they have plenty of other options at the forward spot. And when you talk about guys who be an instant impact type of guy, um, who comes to your mind right now is the including including Fresh, who, of the seven guys, who do you think would be the biggest impact player uh, come the start of the season and then maybe towards the end of the season as well? Uh, and Do you think that that will differ at all? When I think of it in terms of consistency over the whole season, like I think that you would probably end up saying fresh just because sure. I think we saw how instrumental having that experienced point guard was last season with Cunningham, and I think that he's going to be that same type of 
steady leader for this team um, and be able to contribute in a lot of different ways. But in terms of, you know, I think going off early in a couple of big games, like that's going to be Samuel Williamson. Um, I think that he's just the type of explosive scorer. He can play very similar to how Wara plays right now, um, but he can also potentially be even more of uh, like a, a true two um, if they need him to be. He has really good ball handling skills. You know, Mac always makes fun of Wara for the way that he, uh, like, runs and up the court and, like, flails around, like, uh, one of the, what is he, what is he called? The wacky, wavy, like, inflatable tube man or yeah. whatever. Um, I think Samuel Williamson is, is a little more polished. Um, he's a really good mid-range shooter, too. So, you know, there's, he has the ability to kind of fill that gap where, you know, you see Jordan taking threes all the time or, you know, running in for dunks, and I think Williamson can be that explosive if he wants to, but he's really built his game around the mid-range. You talk about Samuel Williamson, and it's really interesting because at times last year, Jordan Wara looked like he, I don't want to say he didn't trust his teammates, but I, I felt like at times he, he felt like he had to do everything in terms of scoring, rebounding, passing. This year, he's got a lot more help, especially in the scoring department around him. In what ways do you think Samuel Williamson is going to be able to kind of help Jordan Wara um, become more of a complete player? Well, I think that, you know, teams are always going to target Wara because he's Jordan Wara. Um, so you're always going to see them key on key in on him. But Williamson's going to give them another person to worry about. Um, I think all the extra, this isn't necessarily specific to Williamson, but all of the extra attention and hype around Wara this season is going to force him to become a better passer. Um, because he, there are going to be a lot of times where he can't get a shot off, where he's just too well defended. So he's going to have to learn how to pass a lot more, um, and I think Williamson is going to be really big in that. If they can figure out a way how to get the two of them on the floor together, those two can be effective in a pick-and-roll together. They can be effective both on the perimeter, um, working together on the inside. Like I think that that is a really, really effective combination um, anywhere on the court. You know, with Jordan coming back this year for his for his junior year and what many expect to be his last year, you know, he had a lot of feedback from the NBA, a lot of things that he needs to work on. In your mind, what do you think outside of defense is the biggest thing for him to improve on? I mean, we know that he's a scorer. We know that he can rebound. Um, you know, at the next level, he's not going to be asked to be a, a primary scorer, but more of a spot-up shooter. And with that in mind, what do you think he needs to kind of take the next step in outside of defense? Because I think that's the obvious. Yeah, no, defense is definitely definitely the obvious thing there. But um, other than that, I think it's getting a little bit more critical on his shot selection, which I think you did see that happen from the beginning of last season to the end. Um, but there's still some times where, you know, you take an outfall and shot and you're like, what was that? Um, and I think that that's something that every young player struggles with. Um, but if you're going to be the one relying on to carry the team like he is, um, and you're going to put yourself in that situation uh, as the primary scorer, then you just need to take some better shots um, and learn how to, you know, move off the ball to get your teammates open. I think that's another thing is is War doesn't move super well off the ball a lot of the time. Um, so I think that's important for him to work on because there are going to be a lot of opportunities for other guys to get open if he does that. To, to me, the thing that people – aren't talking about enough is and I know you mentioned this earlier but it's Darius Perry I think that this that Perry is a guy who could just provide an added element of 
um, kind of speed, quickness, uh, on-ball defense, um, some stuff that we didn't see enough last year. But as we saw at the end of his freshman and sophomore seasons, he kind of comes on towards the, towards the end of the season. Um, if he can provide a little bit more consistency, what, what kind of added element does, does Perry bring to the team? And, and how do you see him kind of fitting in? Um, what kind of role do you see him fitting in on this team? Oh, it's huge, and I think like he is consistently one of the best on-ball defenders on this roster. Um, he showed that even in very limited minutes in some games last season, and I think that's why Max started trusting him and putting him out on the floor a little bit more if it came to crunch time um, is because he can he just can be that lockdown defender, and I think that's actually going to be his most important asset. Um, he's also a guy who's worked on getting a lot, lot stronger this summer, um, he looks a lot bigger. Uh, I think he's always had kind of the – oh, my God, I hate that I'm using this phrase right now, but the basketball IQ. Um, he knows how to play. He knows where to be on the court. Um, Max said last year that he was a guy who picked up his system very, very quickly. I think it was just some discipline and, and attitude problems maybe with those adjustments um, that led to him not getting as much playing time as people expected. The biggest topic right now, you know, in this quiet period of the off season where the team's kind of working behind the scenes and outside of a few social medias, we, you know, videos, we don't really know what's going on. But the biggest thing is is recruiting, and and you're starting to see, you know, big time programs get commitments here and there. And currently, Louisville has zero commits, which isn't a big concern at all. But with September coming into the fold, we saw how Mac used that last year with getting guys on campus, and then the, you know the players kind of taking the ball and running with it with those open gyms, and then of course it all ending with Louisville Live. As of right now, how important do you see September being, and and how long you know do you expect until we might have you know a couple of commitments announced? Oh, I think September is going to be huge again. You know, there's already a couple of uh, official visits uh, on the books for top 2020 targets, and there's been a lot of 2021 uh, recruits uh, on campus over the last few weeks and, and planned coming up as well. So September is going to be huge again because um, I think it was what four of the six commitments last uh, last season were in September, right. um, and that Louisville live event um, is going to be a big one as well. Uh, Jamin Brakefield is is one of the guys who's going to be on campus for that. Um, who's a five star guard in the 2020 class or five star forward, sorry, in the 2020 class. Um, so that's going to be really big. Uh, and then the other thing that I think people are, are starting to freak out, like, oh, there's no commitments yet. Well, yeah, Josh Nickelberry committed in May last season. Um, but that was kind of a necessary thing to let those other kids know, like, oh, okay, after all of the crap that Louisville has been through, someone's committing, it's safe. And then he played a really big role in recruiting a lot of those other guys into that class. I don't think Louisville is at a place where they need that anymore necessarily. Um, and we've already seen just in the last couple weeks um, in this month of August, uh, a lot of the top recruits are cutting their list to their top eight, seven, five. Louisville's made a lot of those. So I think that kids are getting closer, at least the, the top, top recruits are getting closer to cutting their list. Um, and I would not be surprised to see the first commitment come in in September. One of the things that we've been told from several guests that we've had on the show about Louisville football recruiting is that Scott Satterfield and his staff really value face-to-face -face interaction and getting to know players and their families in person rather than you know through text or on the phone. In your mind and what you've seen, what is the biggest thing that Chris Mack values in recruiting ahead of anything else? 
Uh, I think he just tries to talk to guys every single day. He tries to make sure that they're check- checking in almost every single day. Um, if it's just asking them about how a game went or how their homework or their classes are going, you know, he's big on remaining connected, whether it's basketball season or not, um, whether the guy's playing well or not. Um, he wants them to know that, you know, he always talks to his current players and he says it all the time in press conferences about being an everyday guy. Um, and to him, that means just showing up good or bad and being able to be there. And so I think that's what he tries to show the players that he's recruiting as well. So who, in, in your mind, who is that guy for you? Who is Louisville really narrowing in on? And who do you think that Louisville's top target will be kind of going forward? Yeah, I actually just finished today writing up a new big board that's going to come out tomorrow. But um, I think that Namari uh, Burnett, um, he's going to be coming uh, in September for a visit, an official visit. I like that. Um, he's a five-star guard. Um, he's, he would be a really, really big get. And then uh, Hunter Dickinson, uh, who's a center, um, who goes to uh, DeMatha, um, uh, which is Mike Pegues, uh, alter alma mater. But they've been on him for a really long time. He recently just cut his list to, I think, like a either like a top seven or top eight or something. Um, and Louisville was on that. So there are a couple guys that they've just been in on for a really, really long time. Um, Isaiah Jackson is another one of those guys. So those three, maybe Burnett, Jackson, uh, and Dickinson, would be the most likely to make their decisions within the next couple months. It- and one of the names that I, I see that you've left off here, and it could just be, you know, remission, is, is Jay Scrub. That's a name that a lot of Louisville fans are extremely familiar with, uh, seeing as how mm-hmm. David Padgett kind of started the recruiting there with him two years ago, and then, you know, has, Louisville has followed up with him as he's gone into JUCO. What do you kind of think of their recruitment, and how big of a concern it is, is it to them about him potentially having NBA interests? Yeah, I think Louisville's still in a very, very good spot um, with Jay. And the reason I didn't mention him is because he has said that he doesn't think he's going to be making his decision until, you know, almost a year from now. Um, he really wants to wait, and the NBA is part of that equation of why he wants to wait so long. I don't think it's incredibly concerning. I don't think it's a crazy thing for him to consider, at least just entering his name. Uh, into the draft, but unless he has an absolute dynamite season um, this year in, in JUCO, I don't necessarily see it as an overwhelming possibility that he would actually forego college um, to go to the NBA. Do you see his Jay, Jay Scrub as being Louisville's recruit to lose if, if he does choose to come back to college? I mean, is, is there any other option out there? No, absolutely. He's their recruit to lose. Um, I think that he. I mean, he took two unofficials here in the last two months. He seems enamored by the campus, by the coaching staff, by their plan for him. He was ecstatic to get the offer. Um, I think it's one of those situations where it's a hometown kid that if he goes somewhere else, um, somewhere else in college, uh, Louisville's going to feel pretty, pretty bad about it. The only other serious uh, competition right now is uh, Alabama, Cincinnati, and I think there were a couple – I mean, he has a lot of offers, but oh, Memphis was another one. Right. Um, those are the schools that he's scheduled visits to um, in the last month and, and upcoming. 
We've got one more question, and we'll get you out of here, Danielle. One of the things that's going to be really interesting to watch, one of the things that our team at Big Red Louie has really been kind of paying attention to is who Chris Mack is going to have to recruit against to land some of these four- and five-star kids that we've talked about. In your mind, how big of a deal is it to them? And, and maybe it's not a big deal to Chris Mack at all. I mean, we know he's a very confident guy. But how confident are you in their ability to go up against the Coach K's and the Coach Calipari's and, and Sean Miller and some of the big-name blue blood blue but Blue blood. Maybe I can get that out of the last time. Uh, coaches for the first time because last year, you know, Samuel Williamson was really the only one who had, you know, big, big offers. You know, you could talk about Aiden, but there was the, you know, whether or not he had the UK offer or not. But Samuel Williamson had the Kansas offer. But outside of that, Chris Mack didn't have to go up against any of the big name coaches. How big of a deal is it this year that he's going to have to out recruit some of the biggest names in the country? Yeah, I mean, I think that is going to be more of a challenge this year than it was last year. Um, but I also think that now, you know, the, the AAU network of, of basketball is small. A lot of the current guys or a lot of guys even that Mac recruited last year and didn't get, they know those guys who he's recruiting now. So word of mouth goes a long way, and I think that, you know, now that he's established that he can get them to a 21 season um, in his first year and that he can pull in really good recruits even if they weren't pursued by, you know, Kentucky and Duke, um, I think that's going to go a long way in recruiting circles, um, even if he is going up kind of against the the haymakers. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you having uh, coming on the show and talking with us. You guys can follow her on Twitter at Danielle underscore Lerner. You can catch all of her work on the Courier Journal. We can't wait to see what you have for us this season with basketball really taking a big step forward. Again, thank you for your time. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks, Danielle. So me and Brother Blake were over here having a sidebar while you guys were talking. And I don't know if you guys are aficionados of the hard seltzer community, but there was some news dropping today. Okay. So you got, obviously, Natterdays were a big hit this summer for a lot of people. Absolutely. I like them. Could only about have two or three at a time, but they were they were a good change up. So apparently, Natterdays have now evolved into uh, Natty Light hard seltzer at six percent so they're up in the game one more abv they're up in it but then during the podcast just announced i was showing blake are you breaking news breaking news four loco is back in a big way four loco hard seltzer check this four loco alert abv 14 percent they're almost tripling the percentage of alcohol that White Claws have. So once again, Four Loco is back in the dangerous business. It's honestly fairly uh, incredible. That, that, that That's impressive. How do you fit that into Hard Seltzer? I'm not sure, but we're going to find out probably uh, maybe on the Notre Dame game. I don't and know. Probably for like if two, it hits a little, $2. Is that what can. you're going to drink at the Notre Dame game? I'm going to try one. I mean, I'm already going to have like probably White Claws there anyways. What's So I alluded to this on a previous podcast, but I tried Natterdays one time. Same. And Blake picked me up from a party, and I thought that he just came and got me, but apparently he was there for over an hour, and I just don't remember. So I just decided to start pre-gaming with an entire 12 rack of Natty Lights. And then I just let the night go on from there. And, uh, yeah, interesting times. They're just so sweet. Yeah, I couldn't drink more than a half of one of those. Yeah, I mean, Mm. they're tasty, but, like, yeah. Yeah, so much sugar. Much. But, yeah. yeah, the sugar content in those is definitely higher than the rest of the hard seltzers and things like that. But for Loco, 
Mm. That's yeah. gonna be uh, that's gonna be a doozy. They just broke into the game. I didn't drink for three weeks after I had those natter days, and I think that I wouldn't drink for the rest of my next two lives. Like back, like into the next, like uh, whatever you want to call it, like into the next realm of wherever my soul goes, into the next realm of being. I probably wouldn't even drink in that realm if I had twelve. You lost me, man. Four, <laughs> <laughs> you lost He's me, like, man. What? Speaking so big, of drinks. I was about to say, so the big thing I want to talk about was... Chris Mack's drink selection. At Applebee's? Oh. I'm... Chris Mack, we have a bone to pick. Like, you... I, I don't know if you were sitting in for this, but Chris Mack, um, we had Daniel Lerner from the Courier-Journal on. Absolutely. She talked about um, Chris Mack's favorite restaurants. We just thought it was Ho- Brewster's, not Hooters. Oh, I was going to say, like... Oh. <laughs> Ooh, he's got a bone to pick with you after that <laughs> comment. We thought it was Roosters, but uh, apparently Chris Mack's favorite restaurant to attend, according to Daniel Lerner, is Applebee's. And he likes to drink Mountain Dew. I'm they so said, disappointed. Right. I, I did not hear that part of the podcast. And I can get, I can understand it. Like, don't get me wrong. Applebee's is Much good. respect for the man. No, no, re- no, no respect. No, Applebee's no, I mean, like, but of all the man. places that you can go, that's the last place that I would imagine being at the top of your mind. Sheesh. I still go to Cheddar's. Now, it's not, it's not the... It's not like Cheddar's Applebee's, is but far superior to Applebee's. Yeah, Absolutely. no, it is. But I'm Absolutely. just saying, like, Applebee's, every once in a while you go to go to a chain restaurant. And, uh, yeah, yeah, but it's, so I, I can understand. Whatever. I feel I found, like Applebee's doesn't even have a stove. I think they just have a bunch of microwaves. I found a like, rat in my not... salad at Applebee's. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> Applebee's has rats. Uh, do you know what movie you're <laughs> no, referring to? No, I do. It's, <laughs> it's Talladega Nights. Absolutely. That was honestly so. Blake came up from like the age of six on Talladega Nights. Like I'm pretty sure I would be a different person. So I hope Talladega Nights in my life. I hope my uncle Jerry doesn't listen to this, but I'm pretty sure that my dad blessed the grace um, at Thanksgiving dinner when I was 11 years old, and I said, "Damn, Dad, you nailed that grace like a split hulk." <laughs> I just like how the two brothers started simultaneously like instant scene <laughs> oh, and acting sure. and me and Jacob looked at each other like what, what the hell is, yeah. is so going every, on right everybody now. has like that movie they grow up on like sure. now like like if I just like, want a good laugh like I watch like The Office or yeah. Parks and Rec or Wedding Crashers or something like that but when I was little for whatever reason I don't know why my parents my parents are mm. pretty strict we're, we're pretty strict growing up with what we watched oh, very strict but Talladega Nights was like the go-to. I don't know why. I don't know how it happened. But there's this, it's a great it. movie. There's some the scene. Eaters too. There's the mind scene. You. Yes, we did. And I was young. Like I was you were very young. I don't know how you got into that movie. Yeah, that was back before people cared about that kind of stuff. It's very but, true. Dude, but, there was ways back in the day to get in, like right, the side right. door, or you, exactly. you know, just kind of walk no, but, in. Yeah, I mean, I think Will Ferrell probably for our generation is like mm. the most quotable. Oh, like comedian sure. actor. Yeah. Like Judd Apatow movies are like yes. That's yeah. our generation Dude, of like Did you funny. all see that video that came out yesterday with Bill Hader like turning oh, into Oh man, the deep turning oh into Seth God, Rogen the and face change. It's the wildest stuff. video I've ever seen. Blew in my life. me away. I have I, It I've, took me about two videos to notice. At first one I'm like something's Okay, yeah. So I was here. I was just like Dude, why does he look so much like Seth Rogen? Like I just like couldn't. <laughs> I see. I'd never, I never. I didn't catch the Seth Rogen one, but when I saw it, I'm like, Oh, oh no, my it, it's god! In the same video though. Yeah, no. I, oh yeah, no, no. I'm just it like was Tom Cruise. Yeah, it starts with Tom Cruise, Cruise, Tom Cruise, but then it goes back to himself, and then it goes into Seth Rogen when he does right. the impression, like the impressions of him, and I'm like. I think I retweeted it and just said like I didn't know you could get high from looking at Twitter. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't know that could be a thing, but yeah. apparently like drugs can be done through social media because yes. that was so super trippy. I totally watched when you I saw that because you retweeted it and I was just like wow I guess Alex just really has like a weird <laughs> thing out for Bill Hader I don't get it but then I like read the comments and I was like 
okay, I gotta watch this back. And I was yep. like, holy crap, what that, just happened? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and you so. knew it was like an old video because like he had long hair and it was uh, David Letterman. You're like, yeah. Letterman hasn't even been on TV in yeah. years. And I'm like, why the hell are people retweeting this? And then I, if you just watch, somebody, I, some, I saw somebody's comment and they were like, just wait till like 14 seconds in. I didn't catch it on the first try. And so I was waiting 14 seconds That's in. That's what I said. And I didn't like, catch it. stupid 15th second he stares at it like that's that's the start oh, of the Tom Cruise impression. And I'm like, oh my but god, dude, this is creepy, dude. When I first like the first time I watched it, I can see something's happening. And I'm like that, like I can tell something weird is happening. But I wasn't thinking that he was turning into the person that he's yeah. impersonating. Uh-huh. And then when I watched it the second time, and I saw like I saw Tom Cruise, and then I really saw Seth Rogen, and well, I'm the, like, and the oh part, my god, man. what the is part, this? He's a good impersonator too. It's so like, so, so good. like the voice sounded like oh, his, his Tom on. Cruise was like super spot on. Dude, he is so good in Pineapple Express in the opening of that movie. Yes. When he's the when he's like, that's what that reminded me of when he was doing them. Has the impersonation? Anyone ruined Tom Cruise for you yet? The little facial feature about Tom Cruise. Oh, the little puckering the lips or something? No, no, he's. Scientology. So when you, when you, <laughs> yes, but no. Wrestled when you, when, when you look at his face. No. Okay. And he smiles. So you think about symmetry in the face. Right. His the middle gap in between his two. I don't know, like your your buck teeth. Yeah, we gotta pull this up. Your front teeth are not. It's not symmetrical. They are not centered on the face whatsoever. Oh, so you're saying like his teeth aren't and centered? And I'll like never be able to unsee it again. I can't really? look at them the same anymore. So and it's I just mean, like a little. Like oh. how often do you look at Tom Cruise? More often than you'd well, like to know. Well, I mean, Top Gun Two is about to come out soon. <laughs> That's the creepiest yeah. thing you've ever said. <laughs> I, know. You know, I feel like there's so many layers to that. After, but after I don't that, know. after that new Top Gun preview, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, Dude, I watched. Uh, hey man, there was a movie <laughs> of his that was Again, on Netflix. I watched, and it was actually pretty good. I don't remember what it was, but it was it was. I, I really can't remember what it was. I thought he was fighting like aliens or something, but I really I just appreciate it because he's he like, good, man. He's shorter than me, but yeah. like, in every movie he like probably has to write it into his contract that he has to look has at to least look like six, six feet oh, yeah. tall he, he wears, in every movie. He wears shoes like oh, I'm sure, super like, thick soles. But like the most the coolest thing about Tom Cruise to me is that they weren't gonna let him do his own stunts after Mission Impossible three. And so right, because he like he was broke like, a bunch of yeah he broke his leg on set yeah and there's the videos out there of him breaking his leg I mean first of all he walked it off like a champ with a broken leg what a cool guy but what he does instead is he goes I'm just gonna produce the movie instead and you can't tell me what I can't do so he goes and he funds it and produces everything that he can about the movie and does all of his own stunts it's like his, the most recent one where he's like on the side of the plane and yeah he's really on the he side does of the all plane. Of that stuff yeah and it's incredible to me like wild. But his teeth are weird. Makes me want to jump off the couch. <laughs> jump off we the have couch? gotten so I far off topic. Know that <laughs> <reference>. our, <laughs> I think this might be our first like real tangent where we just lost track of exactly. I'm so what sorry we about that. No, no, no. That, that was good. <laughs> well, no. If that. anything, like people it. are gonna like look up this video and then no, the probably, video yeah. and then probably watch and be like, "Holy shit, they were right." Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah I'm gonna find. Close. I'm gonna find this video real quick and retweet it from the Big Red Lily account. Well, Presley, people can watch it. They haven't seen. Did you understand that Tom Cruise jumped on the couch reference? That was from uh, Oprah, right? Yeah, the Oprah yeah, it was just was losing it. Coked out. I mean, <laughs> violent. He was just going high in Scientology, man. That's all sure. I mean, that's what you want to call Scientology. Just, you know, right the nose, but he was going wild. Also, jumping up and down on couches, just and it's been in verses of hip-hop songs ever since. It's wild. Quick note, we do a shout-out every week, but Grandma D, if you're watching or listening, I am really sorry uh, that we've already mentioned alcohol. I've dropped a curse word. Cocaine. I think I might have said a curse word. Yeah. Sorry, I'm uh, Grandma D. We're real sorry. Sorry, Just, Ruby. We'll get a lot. Of, we'll <laughs> tighten it up next episode. I promise. All right. So let's talk about what we came to talk about mm-hmm. to close the show out. Danielle Lerner's comments. Just everything Louisville basketball. It's been a while since we've really kind of gotten a 
just a real update like that for basketball because it's been football for the last couple of weeks. Uh, biggest takeaway from you guys, for me, it's Darius Perry, his improvement, the the big rotation of, and how Chris Mack is going to do that, and then Mountain Dew and Applebee's. Where I was not expecting that to be his favorite drink and his favorite restaurant. I, I'm... <laughs> I mean, the, the, the biggest takeaway take for me, like you said, Darius Perry was a big question that I had coming in. Um, it is very um, reassuring to me. I, I think that there's there maybe Perry could be the one missing piece. Um, I think that Fresh Kimball, and it, it's not a knock on Fresh Kimball, it just, just shows goes to show you how good of a leader Kristen Cunningham was. I think that there's going to be, it's going to be a tough transition from Cunningham to Kimball. And then you're coming into the season now with without David Johnson. So um, Darius Perry is going to have to step up in a big way to start the season. And I think he did last year, but it's just going to be – it's going to have to be a continued thing. We can't just have a big lapse in the play of Darius Perry. The other thing that really stuck out to me is the way that Danielle said that she thinks that, that um, Jordan Wara and Samuel Williamson are going to be able to kind of, kind of play – alongside one another one another because I see a lot of similarities in Wara's game um, to, to Williamson's game and it, it, it's a bit concerning just because you don't want to have two guys on the same on the same roster playing at the same time doing the exact same thing um, just like how Enoch and Williams bring something different to the table just how Perry and Kimball are going to bring something different to the table you want you want Wara you want Sutton you want Williamson to be able to bring different things to the table. And I think that her talking about Williamson's real specialty is just in that mid-range game, which is kind of a lost art. That's like the big like cliche thing to say. It's a lost art. So I'm excited to hear that Williamson kind of brings a lot of different things to the game, a lot more polished in some areas than War is, and some other areas where they can kind of feed off each other. So that's really exciting to me to hear that those two can play together um, and kind of play cohesively. So that, that, that was a big concern of mine. So between Perry and Williamson, I think those are two big takeaways from, from the interview. Um, I think my two insights would have to be her thoughts on, on this year's recruiting. I thought that was pretty interesting, especially, um, you know, how she kind of reinforced Jacob's point of, you know, all the action starts happening when September rolls around and, and then, Obviously, uh, with the current recruits that that we might go after, and and the ones that might commit earlier rather than later, but also just the comments on David Johnson's injury. Um, you know, we all know he was progressing, you know, super well in practice, really competing for almost a starting spot. Um, I think it's great to hear that that even though you know the injury is a setback, whether it be um, just the length of it or just you know even probably conditioning wise as well, but we still get him back for. For, you know a couple months and mm -hmm. I think he can really make an impact uh, in, in some of those conference games if, right. if we need an extra body or if somebody gets in foul trouble or anything like that like I'm I'm excited to see what he can he can contribute even after this uh, first year injury but, but yeah those are kind of my two um, real quick I, I, so I want to hear from Blake but real quick I am kind of excited now hearing the progression of Perry hearing the progression of Nickelberry hearing that Kimball's probably going to be back. Um, that that's a really solid three-man rotation at the one and two spot. Um, what excites me is that those guys are going to have really the chance to against a pretty easy non-conference schedule for the most part. They're going to have a chance to kind of develop, play together, and then when you throw in David Johnson as like the fourth man, that like added factor, just similar to Kevin Ware in the 2013 season. I think that that's really exciting. Is that they're going to have three guys that are really going to be 
in the rotation, super involved. And we didn't even throw in Ryan McMahon, or I didn't even throw in Ryan McMahon. But so you have three, four guys that are really going to be in the rotation at the one and two spot. David Johnson can come in and be kind of an X factor, a guy that can kind of maybe come off the bench, can kind of provide a lot of depth and practice. Right. Uh, we don't know how his injury is going to play out, but no. that, that excites me that um, I think that Nickelberry is a guy that can absolutely step up, that can play right away. I think that he has gotten not a lot of hate, but I think that he fell a lot in the rankings because of a kind of a bad um, a bad 2018 Juca, or I'm sorry, uh, um, AAU yeah. season. Um, so I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, but I want to hear from Blake. What, what do you think? What are you most excited for going into this season? We haven't really talked any basketball with you yet. What what names kind of stick out to you? What do you remember from last season going into this season that most excites you? Um, certainly Darius Perry was the number one thing, and I'm super excited to see how he progresses and how he plays. Um, I think that he, over the last, I don't know, decade of Louisville basketball for me, is one of my favorite people to see pass the ball and see his ball handling skills because he genuinely is a fantastic ball handler. And it's one of the things that I've noticed. <laughs> what, what is going on? <laughs> you know, do you have, do you have anything with your siblings? Just like when you say something funny, but you just don't want to like, I don't know. Like he just said a fantastic ball handler. <laughs> I think we just, I just, just lost it. Like if I was looking at, if I was looking at Jacob or Alex, and you said fantastic ball hitter. We were doing so well to I always close the like, show. Yeah. And then it, well, was, okay, you gotta you gotta keep in mind, like we're roommates, like we you know, like your brothers. Just, I was trying yeah, so hard not to look him in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but we both just I just looked up like right as you said fantastic ball handler. <laughs> and I think you could tell immediately he was just like Whoo. But anyways, so Darius Perry, what else yeah. excites you? What ex- what else excites you about this standard? <laughs> just another just another season under Chris Mack and seeing what direction he's leading us in. You know, as somebody who's not um you know, y'all just named about four players. I didn't even know we're on Louisville's team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to lie no, to you so, about that. Well, so Blake is, he's the perfect example of the average fan. He's the kind of, he's the kind of audience that we're trying to uh, c- cater to almost. Right. In, in that there's a lot of people that don't know what's going on in the off season. They're not going to pick up until halfway through the football season. So they don't, they don't know what's going on. So it's important that people know this stuff. Um, what, I mean, so here, here's the four games that I highlighted in a recent article. Um, for the non-conference schedule that they just released. So they play UK, obviously. They play um, Western Kentucky and Nashville, which is an interesting one to me. Um, they host Michigan in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Um, and then the last one is they go to New York City to play Texas Tech, which I don't remember if you – I don't know, remember if you – I don't know if you remember last season, but Texas Tech was the national runner-up. Yes. Um, so there's, Did you know that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Who won the national championship, cha- championship this year? Uh, a, a team, big name team. Louisville fans hate them. Louisville they lost in the first. Them. They lost in the first round as a one seed. Oh no, I know that. Oh, uh, we were on we were on oh, vacation no. and we were on vacation in uh, in, in Florida and yeah. and we watched this team lose. Oh man, I was so excited. Lock and McLean's favorite team. Point nine seconds, Blake. Nope. Cavaliers, Virginia. Any of that? It was Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew. We just had to help out. There you go. Yeah, there's so many teams. But they <laughs> have been able. <laughs> it's a good argument. So, <laughs> so many, so many the perfect argument. But they have been a powerhouse recently, and uh, yeah, they, yeah. Name one sure. player on that team. Oh boy. Who's oh. <laughs> <laughs> that one guy? Dude, you yeah, you're right, cow guy. You're right, the one guy. One guy. Yeah, yeah one guy, cow Juan, guy. Juan guy. <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite player. Juan guy. Do you guys, guys this show did you guys ever see the rails, the, uh, the Chance the Rapper like SNL skit where he has to take over for the hockey 
Yes, the <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let's play that sports ball. He's like, he's like, you know what they say. He's like, it's like, how about that hockey? I could try so hard <laughs> to fit in this situation, but if I was actually on the podcast, I'd be so quiet the whole time. But no, I feel like your commentary there was—you sounded like you knew what you were talking about, but yeah, I knew you didn't know one I'm player on that team. Very I good. Can see right there. I can sound confident all day. Oh, dude, you had me—they got that one guy. He handles the ball. So the, the, I, so the question was, which. Which game you think they're gonna win? Which game they're gonna lose? What's tough? Okay, yeah, okay. So, well, I mean, so how do you see? Okay, so we we we've discussed the non-conference schedule particular in particular because just because we don't know, we know they're gonna play every game in conference. Mm-hmm. We don't know when. We don't know how it's gonna be situated. We don't know exactly how the uh, the how the opponents are gonna stack up, but we do know those four games we're gonna break down. Mm-hmm. They also play seven other games where they're gonna be heavily favored, all at home. Um, pretty easy, you know. Um, pay games is what they call them, For basically. Sure. So yeah. So, um, out of all those games, which which one sticks out to you the most? Um, the game in New York for sure. The Texas Tech game. Yeah. No. It, it, why? Why do you, in in particular, just anything? I mean, the idea of seeing our team play a team that we know is going to already be pretty decent. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. And just seeing how we compare. That's always exciting to me. And uh, even if we're not, even if we're not favored, if especially if they're favored, mm-hmm. being off site, being somewhere else as well. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a good point. That or the uh, the Michigan game would be pretty good as well. I like it. I like it. Any other comments on the Danielle Lerner? It was a fantastic interview. Definitely check it out. Thank you so much to Danielle if you're listening in. Thanks for joining us like always. Do you think they're going to serve for Loco Hard Seltzer at the Yum Center next season? I don't, but I can pray. pray. (laughs) I'm sure they're going to have tall boy white claws there. I was just going to throw them out to the students. I'm there for that. Let's make it happen. Well, that's going to be another edition. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to wrap it up. Uh, this podcast is not brought to you by Four Podcast. <laughs> thank not. you so much Before to Brother Loco. Blake. Thank you to Will Reddington for tuning for, for joining us. Thank you to Daniel Lerner for the from the Courier Journal. Um, we will see you guys next time.